becomes some darkness, doesn't it? Because we're reminded that some of those who we love aren't with us here today. We're reminded that maybe there's been some unmet dreams in the past year. Maybe you really hope that you could get married or find that Mr. Right or Miss Right, that, that perfect person. Maybe you hoped that you know, certain things would happen within your job or your household. Uh, maybe Christmas isn't as joyful for you because everybody else has money that they're spending on Christmas and you don't feel like you have anything to spend. And so therefore Christmas can't be joyous. And so there's these reminders that, that Christmas is not really picture perfect for everybody. And even for those who it seems to be picture perfect for, it's only an appearance because all of us have this deep longing that still is needing to be met. And that longing is not met with trinket toys or tinsel. That longing is met with Christ. And so you could have everything you want this holiday season. You could have all the holiday cheer and still feel empty and depressed at the end of it. Because ultimately, the things that were meant to fill you, the the, the thing that was meant to fill you is in reach. And that's the one that we're reaching for today. For to us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. So this prophecy, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, was given 700 years, as I said before, uh, before the coming of Christ. 700 years. And the place that Isaiah spoke this was not the Thomas Kincaid picture. The place that Isaiah spoke this was actually a place of deep darkness. Actually, the passage says anguish and gloom. There was no celebration that was happening in Judah. The promised land was being overtaken. Assyria was on the rise. The enemy king was coming in and overtaking the promised land. It says that Naphtali and Zebulun were the outer reaches of the promised land. And they were being overtaken. And they were in the midst of a deep darkness. Actually, if you read the passage just before the beginning of chapter 9 at 8.22, it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Thank you, Mr. Prophet. I appreciate that wonderful word. You are in darkness and you're going to be thrust into thick darkness. That's the message that Isaiah was to give the people of Judah, the Israelites, that there was not a hope that was within them, but there was a hope That's outside of them. If you read verse 1, you see that hope. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. There is a pathway of light that God begins to illuminate to his people in the darkness. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them his light has shone. On them. So the darkness comes, or the darkness is there, but the light comes in the midst of that darkness. Christmas came in the place of darkness in order to bring light. 
Christmas came in the place of deep anguish and gloom in order to bring joy, in order to bring happiness. And it seems so elusive to them. It seems so far off. And I want you to think about the Christmas message. And when Christ came to earth, it wasn't in the midst of everything going well for the people of Jerusalem. In fact, they were under a Roman occupation. Fast forward 700 years after Isaiah spoke this. They were under a Roman occupation. The people of Israel were being uh, controlled by manipulators who were the Pharisees and the Sadducees who turned their religion into something else, a vanity of trying to obey the law in order to earn God's favor. And only the few who stacked the rules in their favor could do it. And everybody else was pushed aside. And it was in this world that that Light came into that deep darkness. It wasn't things when all it wasn't when all things were well. It was when they're in their most desperate time of need. Christ came. And you think about the world today. We'd like to think that the world is getting progressively better. We'd like to think that the world is is really you know, on the way up and, and maybe by the end of our lifetime, it's going to be pretty darn good. We know it won't be perfect, but maybe it's going to be pretty darn good. But we realize that the world today is just as volatile, that throughout all human history, that darkness still covers us, that yes, some things are better, but many things on many accounts are not nearly as good. And so if you look at the world the way it is today and the way it was, you see that there's a, a, a world that we are learning some things, we're growing, we're moving, but we're not there yet. And we're going to find year after year after year that the same thing is true. Why? Because we can't make this world a better place without the hope of Christ. We cannot make this world a better place without the hope of Christ. Darkness and gloom continues to fill it. And I think the thing that we have to wrestle with and come to terms with is that unless you realize that you're in deep darkness, you will never be able to see the light of our Lord. Unless we realize that today there's a darkness that covers us, then we won't be able to recognize the light Because we're going to be fine in the darkness because we've made our home in the darkness. Unless we realize that that darkness is within us. So so let me tell you a little bit about Israel. Israel was, the, the problems of Israel were not just the external circumstances. It was these internal circumstances that caused the darkness. It was these internal things. And the main thing that caused them to live in darkness was that they had turned away from the Lord. The reason why Isaiah was given as a prophet to the people of Israel was to say, return to the Lord, return to the Lord, return to the Lord and you'll have light. But yet the story of the Israelites was a continual walking away from God, turning to other things. They made unholy alliances with unholy holy nations saying, God, we don't trust you any longer and we're putting our trust and hope in someone else. And so the darkness wasn't just on the outside, but the darkness was inside of them. Unless you realize that darkness on the inside, you will never see 
that the light has come to reveal your need for healing. Tim Keller, author and pastor, he says that God doesn't shine his light on us to harm us. It's a very revealing thing, isn't it? When light is shown into these dark places, it can be shameful, it can be hard. We can wonder, God, what are you doing in these moments? Because I feel exposed, but God brings that exposure for the purpose of bringing healing. And where God brings healing, we find grace and mercy and help in the time of need. So there is a, uh, uh, back in 2010 in Chile, there was a mine collapse in the desert. 33 Chilean miners were stuck in this dark mine. They didn't know even if they were alive for 17 days. Could you imagine if it was your son or your brother or your uh, husband that was in that mine? How long would have been too long to hear from them? I mean, surely after 17 days, how would they survive? And so what they did is they, they took these pilot holes, these drills, and they drilled down into the mine. They really didn't have an idea of where they were, but they thought, here's where they might be. And so they drilled like six or seven pilot holes down into this dark mine, hoping that somehow they would come to signs of life. And so on the day 17, they brought the drill back up. And on the drill, there was a little note that says, we're in the refuge all 33 of us. And they set up this camp on top of this Chilean mine. It was called Camp Esperanza, Camp Hope, because they wanted so badly to see their loved ones again. And so when they pulled that note out, they all rejoiced because they knew their loved ones were alive. And so they sent down a camera down into this dark mine. And the first image they seen in this dark mine was this, their loved ones who are alive in the midst of that darkness. Could you imagine the joy? Could you imagine the elation? But yet, how would they get them out? They were stuck there in a half a mile under the ground, 2,070 feet. What were they to do? So they had three different plans going on at the same time. Plan A, plan B, and plan C. You, you had to have these three plans going on at, at time because none of them was certain. Because if plan A failed, then the other one had to be moving at the same time because if you lost days, you lost lives. And so each of these plans were moving simultaneously in order to bring salvation to those who are down in the darkness. And if you watch, there's a documentary on it. You see the times of joy that was there inside of that cave when they realized that help was on the way. But when you also realize that there was a story of darkness that these people were living in that was absolutely overwhelming. Victor Segovia was one of the miners who was trapped in there and he wrote a note to his brother while he was in the mine. He said, there's no way I'm going to lie to you how things are going down here, it's very bad. This hell is killing me. I try to be strong, but it's difficult. Sometimes when I fall asleep, I dream that I'm at a barbecue. When I wake up, I find myself a prisoner in this darkness. When I wake up, I find myself a prisoner in this darkness. How long is too long to be in the mine? Seven days, 20 days, 35 days, 55 days. Well, at day 64, 
one of the drills broke through and the light pierced through the darkness. And they had a pilot hole that had to be drilled first and then another drill came down and it made the hole wide enough, just wide enough for a human body to fit through. Now, could you imagine going up 2,070 feet of dark rock in order to have salvation? Could you imagine? They had to build this special capsule. It was called the Phoenix 2. Let's see if we have the capsule on the picture. I mean, the capsule just fit the shape of a human body. And it was just perfect enough for someone to come into the capsule and be brought into the light. And so on day 69, they fished it down and then they brought up, they fished down the empty capsule and they brought up in that capsule a human person who had been trapped, who was in darkness and now had come into the light. And they did it again and another one saved. And they did it again and another one saved. And they did it again and another one saved. These people who were in deep darkness were loved so much by so many who wanted to save them. You can't write off people as an expense of the job. No, no, they're priceless. And they were saved. There was three nations at least that were involved in this project. NASA built that capsule so it could go down there in order to save those men. How does that deep darkness overtake us today? And where do we find our salvation? Well, well, the Bible says, unto us a child is born. That God who, who rules the heavens became a man and dwelt among us. That there are people that were in deep darkness that he came to save. And the darkness isn't just the darkness of the collapse of the mind or their external circumstances. The darkness is the darkness of our own sin. The darkness is our own disobedience, our dishonoring of God. And it's from that deep darkness that God's light has shown. Author and pastor Ray Ortland says, God came to his people first where they had suffered the most. And from that place, he launched salvation into the whole world. This imagery we get for darkness is the imagery of sin. Ephesians 4.18 says, they, darkened, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Just like Israel had turned away from God, we have to recognize that we've turned away from God. This week I had the privilege of preaching to about 15 uh, leaders, church leaders that are in the city. Uh, the reason I did this is because I asked them to critique my sermon. And there's a gal who is there, her name's Amanda. She kind of runs the production of one of the larger churches in the city. And she offered me what I felt like was the most helpful critique as I preached my sermon. She said, I'm not convinced. I'm convinced that you believe that other people live in darkness. She said, but I'm not, you didn't convince me that you live in darkness. And I was like, oh girl, you don't know how dark this really is right here. Come on. And it made me think, I, I said, you know, am I really convinced how much I needed that light? Am I really convinced? I read this quote from Paul David Tripp and he said, you and I were created to love God. 
We were hardwired to live in an intimate relationship with the creator that would shape every motive, every desire, every choice, every word, and every action. At any moment, if you asked me what I was doing, I could say to you, because I love God. Why is it that you're doing what you're doing? Why is it that you're here this morning? Because I love God. Why is it, he says, that you speak to your spouse the way you do? Because I love God. Think about that. How do you speak to your spouse, to your loved ones? Because I love my God. Why do you treat your children the way, I, way you do? Because I love my God. Why do you spend your money the way you do? Because I love my God. Why do you schedule your life the way you do? Because I love my God. You know, when I read that, I was so convicted because I know that oftentimes my motivation in life is not because I love my God, but because I love myself more than him. And that's how darkness is revealed is because we have turned our back on God and we put ourselves in his place. And we say, I'm the king of my universe and not him. Do you know what that means by definition? We're in deep darkness and we need a rescuing light. And that's the beauty of this message of Christmas is that God came to shine his light into a dark world. And the purpose of it the purpose of it is to give us victory. To give us victory. You know, these are people who are defeated. These are people that had no hope unto themselves. They couldn't rely on their army because their army was all but depleted. They couldn't rely on their king because their king had made alliances with the enemy. They couldn't rely on anyone else than God. Listen to me. Sometimes what God does in order to show us that he is the light is to break everything around us and to show us there is no light there. And that's a good thing when God does that because we could be blinded by something else saying that this would save us or this would be better or I could put my trust or hope in this and when it's not God it's God's grace that shows us that we must look to him and that's what he was doing to Israel he was breaking their back so that they would see that he was their hope and this is the beauty of this picture is that he gives them victory Verse four, verse three, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The picture that we get here is like Camp Hope, Camp Esperanza. When the 33rd miner is brought out of the ground, the camp erupted in elation. Why? Because they were victorious. I didn't care. They didn't care if it was day 69. They had fresh air and they had light and they were able to embrace their loved ones. And it was the best thing because they got their lives back. I mean, the picture is like a harvester who finally brings in that harvest and realizes it's the best harvest ever. And the whole farm erupts in joy. That's what Isaiah gives us. It would be like the Super Bowl winning team in the locker room after the game. I mean, it is pure elation. And at the end of the verse seven, it says, it's the zeal of the Lord that will do this. It's God who has done it. 
It's not us lifting our fingers. It's not us doing anything for this victory. It's a God who's given us this victory because he's given us this light. And he tells us about Midian. Anybody ever heard of Midian before? Maybe you've heard of the Midianites. There was Gideon's army, 3,200 people. For some reason, God thought that was way too many. And so the army just kept on shrinking until finally there were 300 of these Gideon, Gideon's army that had to go to war against the mighty Midianite army. How would they do it? Well, God sent them into the Midianite camp in the dark of the night and they only were equipped with jars that they would break, torches and trumpets. And in the dark of the night, they went into this camp And they threw the Midianite army into confusion. And the Midianites slaughtered themselves. And Gideon and his army didn't even have to lift a sword. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. How have God, how are you going to get me out of my darkness right now? How are you going to get me out of my loneliness? How are you going to get me out of my depression? I mean, I... Thinking of victory seems so beyond me, God, when it feels like the world is caving in on me. How are you going to do it? Well, you want to know God's answer to that? With a newborn baby boy. How in the world? Ray Ortland says, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. I mean, think of the The foolishness of God. How foolish would that be to send a child to a mighty king and say that he's going to gain victory? But this was God's answer. In humility, in lowliness, God became a man and dwelt among us. If I could take us back a couple weeks when we talked about Isaiah chapter 6 and the holiness of God. You remember Isaiah sees the holiness of God and he says he, he sees the seraphim encircling the throne as if they're encircling the throne. They're singing this chorus and the chorus says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And these massive seraphim creatures who are created just to bring glory and honor to God are continuing to encircle the throne. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the train of God's robe fills the temple. And you see the holiness of this God reduced down into this beautiful baby boy who was born in a stable among animals and animal urine and all that kind of stuff that you would never imagine giving a newborn baby boy a home in that spot. But this is where Jesus was born. Why? Because God identifies with the darkest of dark places of our hearts and our lives. There is none of you who could say that God doesn't care about your lives. You know how I know? Because he entered into it. He entered into it and he lived the life That you and I were meant to live because I love my God, because I love my God, because I love my God perfectly, without sin. Although he was tempted, he was without sin. Perfect, sinless son of God. And when Mary sees the perfection of this beautiful boy, she brings him to to her chest. She says he's perfect. 
because he's God's perfect gift, not just to her, which he did die for her, but also for the whole world. That's the message of the Christmas story is that light has come in your darkness, in my darkness, in order to show us the holiness of God that conquers and claims victory over our sin. So we want the best Christmas ever this year. Hashtag best Christmas ever, don't we? Right? (laughs) I don't know if I should laugh at that or anyway. (laughs) The um, uh, average American spends $1,000 on Christmas. America as a whole spends $680 billion dollars on Christmas gifts. At holiday parties, if you add the number to the $680 billion that we spend on Christmas presents and you add our holiday parties, that makes the number over a trillion. Give me an idea of that. If we decided instead of not doing Christmas as far as gifts and parties are concerned and give that money to the federal government, it would only take us 20 years to pay down the national debt. That is if there's no more money being spent. (laughs) Best Christmas ever. 40 million Christmas trees are purchased. 22 million turkeys are on the table. 7.3 billion shrimp. That is one shrimp plus a little bit more for every person on the planet. That's the best Christmas ever. And next year, we're going to try to top it. And we're going to find ourselves in kind of a coma and chaos. Because we find that this season, the money keeps going out and the calories keep coming in don't we? For some reason, it happens every year. I try to prepare myself for it every year and it doesn't work. The scale tells me the money keeps coming out and the calories keep coming in. But in pursuit of the best Christmas ever, can we realize that the best Christmas has already come and free ourselves from the chase? That the best Christmas came in that boy born in Bethlehem in the manger, and God gave his very best. God gave his very best for us. He spared no expense. This is, the, this is the mighty mystery of the power of God's grace and redemption, that he would come and dwell among us. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know what wonderful counselor means? That word wonderful is a word we don't actually have an adequate word in our English language to describe. But that word wonderful declares that this is a God, this is a counselor, this is a person who you can be completely honest with and he's going to be honest with you and he won't crush you. You can go to God and you can confess your sins before him without fear because one God already knows it number two God's already done something about it he's the wonderful counselor he's a mighty God that's good news for weak people that God is mighty 
on our weak days when we are striving and we are realizing that we are broken down and needy, His might comes in and like the Apostle Paul says, His grace is sufficient for me for His power is made perfect in my weakness. So I will boast all the more in His strength. When we're weak, His might gives us sufficient grace to get through our days and to cling to His power not our own. He's the everlasting father. He's the everlasting father. That means Jesus Christ isn't the detached son of God. It means that God the son is the one who came down to save us. It wasn't that God sent somebody separate to do his dirty work. It's that God himself took on flesh and dwelt among us. That he, God the son, tells us of God the father. And God the father says, you're no longer slaves to sin. But you are sons and daughters of the most high king. And he is the one who rules and reigns forever and ever. And he's the prince of peace. Fear is put to an end. Anxiety is put to an end. Striving has ceased. And his peace comes without compromise. I love that. That God doesn't come to make a peace treaty with the world. God comes to defeat and devour all things that would come against him. So that the way God brings peace is putting an end to all his enemies. And that peace came through the cross. Of the increase of government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and hold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me tell you about the beauty of the Christmas message. Is that the boy who was born in the manger is the king who was crucified on the cross. And that message is good news to those whom he died for. That message is good news for those who he died for. In fact, the angels tell the shepherds in the, in the flock that were, that were uh, taking care of their flocks by night. This is good news and great joy for all people. Because that message was the message of hope overcoming our sin. But the message of the cross was also a warning to anyone who would not trust or believe in him. It was that if you are not going to heed the warning that comes with the light of Christ, then you will remain in darkness, eternally separated from the grace of God and under the wrath of God forever. The Christmas message brings the joy of God front and center while at the same time warns us that if we're not with God, we are against Him. And we are the enemies of God whom God's justice will come and God's peace will not compromise, but it will conquer so that we will never be able to oppose Him again. And so the call for us this Christmas is a call to see the darkness and recognize the light of the Lord. The call to us this Christmas is to see that darkness that reigns within us so that those times where we can't say, because I love my Lord, because I love my Lord, we say, Lord, change my heart. Let your light invade that darkness. And the peace that comes is one that surpasses all understanding because we have hope that light has come. We have joy that light has come. And we can ask God to invade those dark places 
of our hearts. How will you respond? How will you respond? And the response that God calls us today is to trust in him. The same as it was for Israel 2,700 years ago, the same as it was for Israel 2,000 years ago, is the same for us, the people of God today. Stop turning your back on him and run to him. He is the rescuer. Look for him, wait for him, watch for him. He will come, I promise. And he came as the boy in the manger, crucified on the cross, and he sits on the throne. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your light has come. We thank that you worship, we worship you. We worship you, God, in the midst of the chaos of our lives and the chaos of the season. We ask, God, for you to shine your light upon us and we would walk in you. God, that you would deliver those who are from in darkness. God, even the darkness that settles in upon those who believe, God, we need help. And so we ask, Father, for you to help us. God, we know your throne is a place that we can go to in time of need because you're a wonderful counselor. So God, we come and we lay our lives before you. And we ask, God, that you would give us the Christmas hope that belongs only to those who believe, God, because we say to you, we love you, we need you. And everything we do, God, help it all be because we love you. In Jesus' name, the church says, amen.